Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. We bless God for that incredible prayer. Uh, Sister Linda, we thank you for covering the needs of the people that have made specific requests, but you went beyond that. And there were some requests that were not articulated, but the, were, were, was desperately needed. Our community needed prayer. Our nation needs prayer. The world needs prayer. And, and so you covered the specific request, but you went on beyond. And uh, we appreciate your fervency and your commitment in prayer. But thank you for the scripture reading that you did as well. For truly, if we lift up our heads and recognize that he is the king of glory, it would change everything about what we're going through. So thank you for the scripture reading as well. Amen. Amen. Well, let me say good evening to everybody. Uh, my name is Pastor Thomas Rich of the River of Life Christian Center. This is our Monday night Bible study, and we are about to continue our teaching from the subject, Taking Back the Stolen Seed. This is part 10. We started this teaching in January. We continued it in March, and now we're in the first Monday of May, and we're going to continue on taking back the stolen seed. I don't know if you guys have ever really sat down and read through scripture and discovered that sometimes you can look at one or two verses and days later you're still studying those one or two verses. There's so much connected to it. And certainly we have made that discovery as we've been looking at Genesis chapter 3 verses 13, 14, and 15. Uh, we've devoted a lot of time to verse 15. I'm going back to 15 tonight, but I'm going to read 13, 14, and 15. But much of our attention is going to be on verse 15 tonight. Won't you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer? Father, we honor you. We bless you. We magnify your holy name, God. We recognize, God, that we are nothing without you. So as we come before you tonight, God, we yield. We throw ourselves at your feet, ask you to take charge of everything that is done, everything that is said. Teach this lesson tonight, God. Open the ears of all of our understanding. Open the eyes of each of our understanding that the revelation of your word might bring light into our lives. And as the light comes into us, let us become lights for the world. God, we thank you. We bless you. And our dependence is entirely upon you right now. Thank you for those who are, are present and even for those who may come on a bit later. God, let there be no misunderstanding in your word. Let the revelation of your word be clear. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. So, Genesis chapter 3, verses 13, 14, and 15. Verse 13 reads like this. It says, And the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, 
you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Verse 15, <clears throat> and I will put enmity and family, I know we've talked about this, but just in case there's someone that has forgotten or someone new on the line tonight, that word enmity uh, is an act or feeling of being actively opposed or hostile to someone or to something. So when the Lord said that he was going to put enmity between the serpent and the woman, what he was saying is there would be open hostility, opposition, that they would never be at peace one with the other. There would always be hostility there. So he said in verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now catch the rest of this. And, and, and that word and is very important. Enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. We have devoted a significant amount of time to seed, but I just want you to capture that. And then it says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Listen, <clears throat> as we have been praying and thinking about the lesson tonight, uh, I, I, I got a revelation of something that I'm going to suggest, I want you to think about it. Uh, I really believe that with the possible exception of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. I really believe that with the possible exception of that verse, no verse in the Bible may be more crucial and more definitive than Genesis 3.15. Why am I saying that? Well, I'm saying that because the struggle that we're going through, each of you tonight, when several of you mentioned uh, conflict and uh, struggle and crisis that, that you're experiencing, we're, we're living in a time right now, we heard of a young man that murdered his father just a couple of days ago. And it seems like almost every month we hear of a child murdering a parent. We see folk gunning down people in the streets and all manner of uh, wickedness being done brother against sister and sister against brother and brother against brother. And I don't necessarily mean blood brothers, but human upon another human being. And and. When we look at uh, Genesis 3.15, the Lord said there would be enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. We have defined the seed of the woman. We know that he is Jesus Christ, and we know that the serpent represents the enemy. There is warfare, family. There is warfare. Let me say that again. There is warfare, whether it's in... Uh, sometimes we're having health issues, and the reason we have the health issues is not necessarily uh, something that cannot be changed, but we've got a warfare in our spirit about whether we're going to do what we need to do or we're going to do what we feel like we want to do. And as a result, it, it creates issues in our physical health. 
mental health, emotional health, and even in our spiritual health. And so I'm suggesting to you tonight that without a doubt, John 3.16 is one of the most crucial verses in all the scripture. But if you want to think about the struggle that we have, the warfare that we have, we cannot forget about Genesis 3.15. First of all, <clears throat> uh, Genesis 3.15 establishes a principle that runs throughout Scripture. It runs throughout the Old Testament, but it also, we see the struggle in the New Testament. And, and what is it telling us? It, it is telling us, and I want you to catch this, it, Genesis 3.15 is telling us about the expectation of a redeemer who would be a descendant of the seed of Adam and Eve. And it, it is a deliberate reflection of the line of thought between God's covenant with the patriarch Abraham, which speaks of a seed and that rings both loud and familiar to all of us, yeah, it was a seed that was of the woman, uh, excuse me, dealing with Adam and Eve. But there was much more connected to it because ultimately down that line was going to be Abraham. And if we were to read in Genesis 12 and 7, I want you to hear that. It says, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. In other words, I've, I've, I've made a jump. We're still in Genesis. I'm moving from uh, Adam and Eve now, and I'm going down to where God has called Abraham from his family and uh, the, the people that he was used to being around and told him to go to a place that I will show you. And then he made a promise to him. And that promised family, we live within the generations that would be receptive and the receivers of that seed. And, and so in Genesis 12 and 7, he said, unto thy seed will I give this land. Then in Genesis 15 and 13, it reads as follows. It says, and he said unto Abram, know for a surety. Thy seed shall be in a uh, and shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. I, I know that all of you know about that story. We talk about it often when we're doing communion. We have taught from that text on multiple occasions. God has made a promise. And this word seed doesn't just stop with Adam and Eve, but when he begins to talk about his people that he's carving out as his very own, he continues to use this word seed. We have talked about what seed is. We talked about it being sperm. Or, uh, we talked about the, the sperm and the egg. We've been through all of that. But tonight, I'm just walking now in further into the book of Genesis because this seed is so critical in God's design and plan for our life. Genesis 21 verse 12, And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, 
the lad that is referred to there, y'all, is Ishmael, uh, the son of Abraham and Hagar. And again, you know the story. Um, God had promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a, a, a son and that uh, out of that son would be birthed many nations. But um, Abraham and Sarah decided they couldn't wait because they were old in age. And Sarah said, take my handmaid. And Abraham took the handmaid and he went into her and had a son who was named Ishmael. And when we get down to Genesis 21 and 12, we, we see that there's a conflict because now Sarah is upset that Abraham has a son with Hagar. And he, she's saying, send him away. I, I don't want anything to do with that bondwoman or that child that is connected to that bondwoman. And so God said unto Abraham in verse 12, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad. Who is the lad? Ishmael. And because of thy bondwoman. Who is the bondwoman? Hagar. And in all that Sarah have said unto thee. In other words, Sarah's given him the boogie woogie. She is all up in his ear. She is all up in his face. She's talking about how she can't stand Hagar. She's talking about how he's got to get rid of Hagar and the son. And, uh, the Lord said to Abram, Abram, uh, in fact, his name was Abraham at this point, hearken unto her voice. In other words, listen to what she's saying to you. For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. In other words, look, I've already said to you that you were going to be the father of many nations. I promised you a seed that would come through uh, your wife, Sarah. And even though you now have a son named Ishmael, you did not have that son in the manner that I had prescribed for you. He's still a son. In the next verse, it says that he's going to be the father of many nations as well, speaking of Ishmael. But in the end of verse, 20, or verse 12, he says, For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. In other words, this one who is going to be the father of many nations, those nations are going to be birthed through the son Isaac. What are we talking about? We're still dealing with the seed, the seed, the seed. It is in the seed that uh, it is, is birthed, the things that we are, who we are, where we are going. Vision is birthed in a seed. Purpose is birthed in a seed. And we're saying right here in Genesis 21 and 12, For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Listen, I don't believe that anyone reading the Bible will miss the connecting threads of those verses I just read to you. God is doing something in the history of Israel that has its beginning in a promise that was given in the Garden of Eden all the way back in Genesis 3.15 when God said that there would be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. So the connection, Genesis 3.15, I read down through into Abraham and as we continue to go forth, if we were to jump over into the New Testament for just a moment, one of the things that we learned, and I taught this over the last several years when we were learning the names of Jesus. When Mary discovered that she was expecting a baby, 
Gabriel announced to her concerning her future son. And this is what Gabriel said to her about that son. He said, he will be great. I, I don't know if y'all caught that. But now we've moved from Abraham. We've gone from Adam and Eve. We've gone down through Abraham. And now we've gone all the way down through 40 and two generations to where Gabriel has told Mary she's going to have a son. And he's not just going to be any son, but he will be great which is clearly using a phrase that God had also used both with Abraham and with David. Let, let's look at Genesis 12 verses 1 and 2 for a moment. And we're going to see the same thing. Uh, Genesis 12 and 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show you. Now listen to verse 2. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. So from the Garden of Eden, all the way through, down through Abraham in the book of Genesis, we see that there is a seed that God has promised, and there is greatness wrapped up in that seed. In fact, uh, that ultimate seed that will come from these prophetic promises is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in, in the Vulgate, in the Latin Vulgate, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 32, it, it references the word she. And the she that was implied there was Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to carefully notice that Genesis 3.15 does not say that it is the woman who conquers, but it says it is her seed that conquers. I want you to catch that. He said that uh, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Told the serpent, your seed will bruise his heel, but the seed of the woman will crush your head. So let's, let's look at this a little bit further. In Christianity, and I want you to write this word down, Genesis 3.15 is known as Proto-Evangelium. And it is spelled like this, P-R-O-T-O-E-V-A-N-G-E-L-I-U-M. Proto-Evangelium. Why is that important? Well, it is interpreted as a prophecy in Genesis 3.15 of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Proto-Evangelium is a compound of two Greek words. The first part of that Greek word is protos, P-R-O-T-O-S, which simply means first in the Greek. And then the second part of Proto-Evangelium is Evangelion, meaning good news or gospel. What, what do we call the word of God? The good news. It is called the gospel. The gospel means the good news. So in theological and scholarly Bible study circles, this verse is commonly referred to as the first mention in the Bible of the good news of salvation. 
So what are we talking about? Genesis 3.15, y'all. The, the, the good news of salvation is first mentioned all the way back in Genesis 3.15. We were talking about a seed, but out of that seed is birth the good news. Let, let's look at it. The seed of woman, or the offspring of woman, is an unnamed person or community of people that is prophetically referred to biblically in the book of Genesis. What, what am I saying to you? It was already talking about Jesus, y'all. Already telling us that God had a plan of salvation. Now, connect that. Adam and Eve has disobeyed God. Adam and Eve has had what we call that fall in the Garden of Eden. And God had a plan of redemption and a plan of salvation that was introduced just a few verses after the fall of man in Genesis 3.15. And as a result of the serpent's temptation of Eve, which resulted in the fall of man, God announced that he will put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. But that enmity would not end with the serpent being victorious. That enmity would end with you and me being victorious over every effort of the enemy to try to keep you from being the seed or becoming the seed that God had already and always planned for you to be. So I don't know about y'all, but that kind of excites me a little bit because I know I've had some challenges in my life. I've had some moments where I tried my best, but I came up short. I've had some moments where I would rather declare that I won, but I lost. I failed. But uh, because of the promise that was made there, I've got another chance. There is hope because of the seed of the woman who he promised in Genesis 3.15. Now, I want to mention one other thing. Then we can pick up where we left off in uh, the last teaching. I, I want to note to you that in Judaism, the seed of woman is taken as a collective reference to mankind in general. But I am saying to you tonight that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that seed is not just a collective reference, but it is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is our hope and our source. I, I, I gave you 10 uh, illustrations from seed the last times that we were out. I said that the seed is the source of our faith. And we, were, we taught specifically on March 14th of, of what that was. You can go back and listen to that lesson in, um, uh, on the podcast. And you can see how that seed is the source of our faith. Then I told you that the seed is the source of our salvation. And we broke that down on March 21st. You can go again to the podcast and you can pick that up. How is the seed that is referred to in Genesis 3.15 the source of our salvation? Now I'm going to give you the other eight for you to make note of if you don't have your notes with you tonight and then we're going to uh, go as far as we can go into the third seed. The third seed is the source of truth. 
The fourth seed is the source of freedom. The fifth seed is the source of freedom from error. I don't know about y'all, but uh, that, that's pretty powerful right there. The sixth seed is the source of spiritual food. Seventh seed is the source of growth. The eighth seed is the source of victory over temptation. My God, I'll tell you what, uh, the other, uh, last weekend, uh, uh, we were with a friend that were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And I normally don't like a lot of cakes. Uh, I certainly don't typically like celebration cakes, um, you know, wedding cakes and uh, anniversary cakes. That those I, They don't turn me on that much. But man, they had a cake that was so good. And I was so tempted. I, I, I called my friend up and I said, man, where did you get the cake? And he told me. And I was tempted to run down to that store and buy that cake because I wanted it so desperately. And then I thought about it, and I realized that the last thing I needed was to go and buy that cake because it wouldn't have been good for me. A slice every now and then is okay, but I would have had a whole sheet cake. And then my wife and I would have been eating that whole sheet cake. No telling what would have happened. So the seed is the source of victory over temptation. I was tempted. But I had to look unto Jesus and, and re have my strength renewed so that I was able to have victory over temptation. The knife seed is the source of happiness or blessedness. And then the tenth seed is the source of purity and holiness. So we have learned that the seed is the source of our faith. It is the source of our salvation, and that when we went through it being the source of our salvation, we also learned that the seed is incorruptible. In other words, when you allow Christ to come into your life, when you allow the seed of the Word of God to have authority in your life, then what happens is it becomes bigger than the temptations that we are confronted with. It has the ability to help us to come out of depression. It can uh, bring upon us a spirit of joy and blessedness. It can actually bring upon us a spirit of purity and holiness. It, when we have that seed from the Lord Jesus Christ growing in us, it becomes our seed of spiritual growth. Not just growth, but spiritual growth. It can become the seed uh, and the source of spiritual fruit, food, and freedom from error. That's what happens when we have the seed of the Lord Jesus Christ in us. It is an incorruptible seed. Now, <clears throat> I'm shifting directions for a moment. We're going to talk again about that seed that was from the serpent. Let me tell you real and make this point real clear for you. Satan is clear that the seed of the Word of God is the seed that will make you free. 
It is the seed that will heal your body. It is the seed that will heal your mind. It is the seed that will help give you vision, purpose, and direction. And because that seed has that much power in it, it is a threat to the devil. And as a result of it being a threat to the devil, his goal is to always steal or contaminate your seed. Sometimes you might fight to hold on to your seed, but you allow the enemy to put contaminating thoughts in your mind. Uh, you find yourself looking at or hanging out in places where your spirit man is being contaminated. And so, yes, you, you, you held on to the seed, but that seed has gotten mixed with some stuff now that, in, that disables the ability of that seed to accomplish all that God made you to be. Because even though you might not have given up the seed, you have allowed your seed to be contaminated. And Satan's goal is to steal the seed, or at the very least, to influence that seed with such a power of contamination that it loses its ability to accomplish all that God has made you and me to be. So <clears throat> if we were to summarize the intent uh, of the serpent or of Satan, what we will discover is that Satan is so afraid of the power of that seed that he works overtime to both blind and pollute the minds of each and every believer. I don't know if you're feeling this. You might not even be believing it. If you're not believing me, I understand. That means that he got in there. There's some pollution mixed in. And that pollution got you sitting there raising questions about the authority of God's word and about the love of Christ that, that God loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life if you're not receiving that if you're not believing that there is that means that the enemy has accomplished his goal second corinthians 4 and 4 reminds us it says the god of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So what's the devil's goal? He wants to steal your seed. And if he can't steal it, he wants to pollute it. And the more pollution that gets in, the less grip you have upon it, and the more likely it is that after a while he will own your seed, which means that he will own your destiny. And instead of having a destiny with Christ in heaven, you have a destiny in hell. Listen, the devil not only speaks what is false, he also goes to great extremes to hide what is true. I want to say that again. He goes to great extremes to hide what is true. His goal is to keep us from seeing the treasure. I'm going to get ready to close with this, but uh, you might make a note of what I'm about to tell you. His goal is to keep you and me from seeing the treasure of the seed that will grow from the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, he lets us see the facts. He even lets us see the proof. But he will go to every extreme possible to keep us from appreciating 
the preciousness of who Jesus Christ is and the preciousness of his word. What do I mean by keep us from appreciating the preciousness? What is preciousness? Preciousness, uh, somebody is, needs to put your phone on mute. Preciousness is something of great or prized value, and it is due the highest regard or consideration. It is not to be taken lightly or to be disregarded. And when I say to you that the enemy wants to steal your seed, if he gets a hold of your seed, he will succeed in being able to keep you from appreciating the preciousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and the preciousness of the Word of God. Listen, as I get ready to close, I was talking to a young man about a week and a half ago, and <clears throat> he was saying to me how his child had, uh, he, he said that he, he came to look at his, uh, the table where his child's computer was, and he was just checking through the computer and making sure that his child had done all of his homework. And while he was looking at it, uh, he noticed that the child, who I think is about eight or nine years old, had opened, had gotten high up on a bookcase and grabbed the Bible and had the Bible open on the desk next to his computer. And he said that he thought about it and he thought that was rather strange. It didn't make sense to him. So he closed the Bible and he put it back up on the shelf. And again, it was high up on the shelf. And uh, the next day when he came back downstairs to check out the child's homework again, he saw the same Bible open on the child's table. He said he was befuddled. He was confused. He didn't know what to think. He said he knew that he hadn't opened the Bible and he did not understand how that Bible had gotten there. So he called his child and said, he said, come here, I, I want to ask you something. The child came in and he, he said to the child, he said, do you know what this is? The child said, yes, it's the Bible. He said, uh, do you know how it got here on your table? And the child said, yes, daddy, I, I climbed up and I got it. I, I really wanted to read the Bible. And the father said, do you know what you're reading? And, and, the, and the child said, dad, I, I believe that you should be reading the Bible. And as a family, we should be reading the Bible. I need to read the Bible. And this man confessed to me. He said, pastor, uh, I, I have to tell you that we've had that Bible and, and it is in pristine condition. We've had it for over five years. It's been on the bookshelf. And we have never opened that Bible. But my child climbed up, grabbed the Bible. And now my mind has been changed. I realize that my child, that, that God is telling me through my child that I need to appreciate that that word of God should not be sitting on the shelf collecting dust. Family, as I'm closing tonight, I'm telling you that the, the enemy's goal is to steal your seed, but your goal is to take it back. And I'll tell you what, if you learn how to appreciate the preciousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and the preciousness of the word of God, so much so that it is a part of everything that you do 
I guarantee you, you will fight for the seed of God's vision. You will fight for the seed of God's purpose. You will fight for the seed that God has put in you. You are the result of a seed. Uh, your, that, that seed and egg uh, that came together in the womb created you, and you are a part of the design and purpose of God. And if you have not been fighting, if you have not been uh, allowing the preciousness of Christ to be manifested in your mind, your spirit, and your heart, then you are at war and must go to war right now against the enemy trying to steal what God always intended for you. This is your opportunity to recover what the enemy has stolen. And that is that precious seed, that seed that all the way back in Genesis 3.15, when the Lord said unto the, the, the uh, serpent that there will always be enmity between your seed and the seed of woman. Listen, you're helping with the enmity if you are not recognizing the preciousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God. And so as I close tonight, remember, there is warfare. You've got to take the seed back, but you cannot take it back unless Jesus is precious in your heart, your mind, and your spirit. When he is precious and he is the word, that means that you and that word will live together so that the word begins to order your steps your mind and the manner in which you live your life. May God bless you and heaven smile on each of you and give you peace. I just realized I went over time so you can take your phones off of mute. <clears throat>